Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Feed for Service podcast, Dr. Sonny Spira. My guest today is Dr. Ankur Gupta, and we're going to talk about health, wellness, and balance. You're going to hear about buckets. How do you fill buckets? What buckets should you fill? Suggestions on how do you get that balance and some great tips on just wellness and living uh, life in its in its uh, proper uh, frame of mind, let's say, and, and being at the height of wellness and using examples as such. Today's episode is courtesy of our extra special sponsor, Kettenbach Dental. Kettenbach, imagine their one product for every cementation protocol and is also useful as a core buildup. It's SEMCORE. It is both hydrophilic as an adhesive cement and hydrophobic as a core buildup. Check them out. Kettenbach Dental or Kettenbach USA. You can call 877-532-2123. You can tell them Sonny sent you. I don't know if that'll help, but they're a great company to deal with. Dan Perilli, wonderful man, great company. Check them out. Again, Kettenbach Dental. Enjoy today's episode. My name is Drew Burns, and I'm a part of a small group of dentists who believe something crazy. We believe that the standard of care is just not good enough. We demand the best of ourselves and the best for our patients. We believe that the best way, no, the only way to practice dentistry is on our own terms. If you ask the dental consultants or the corporate CEOs, they tell you that what we're doing isn't smart, that fee-for-service dentistry is dead, and that the golden age of dentistry is over. Yet. While others focus on profits first, we focus on the patient first. And yet our offices are some of the most profitable in the entire country because we invest in ourselves and we are doing things right. It's our name on the door and it's our reputation on the line. My name is Drew Burns and I am a fee-for-service dentist. This is the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast and these are our stories. Welcome to the Feed for Service podcast, Dr. Sonny Spear. I got a special guest, a good friend of mine now, Dr. Ankur Gupta. You may know him from some of the many things he posts online and his presence, certainly in the, let's call it the uh, internet world. But uh, what he is, graduate of University of Michigan, 2004. He's a native of New Mexico. Of course, we got to ask him, why do you leave New Mexico and go to Cleveland, right? And practices with his wife and he's in a practice in a town called Northridge and it's just yeah Northridgeville yeah okay Northridgeville just outside of Cleveland and please welcome Dr. Gupta how we doing man good good thanks Sonny thanks for having me on what an honor oh listen to this he's smooth guy ladies and gentlemen he's smooth (laughs) right so uh I got to meet Dr. Gupta Ankur at uh, a Catapult Education event, and he is one of the Catapult Education speakers in addition to the many things. But today's topic, we're going to talk about health, wellness, and balance. Just so you know, balance is a thing I've had a hard time with. So every year, you know, on the end of the year, they say pick your word of the year. 
And two years ago, that was my year balance. That was my word for the year. And I didn't really do great with it. So I'm looking to learn a few good things here. So tell us your story. How did you get into dentistry? Let's start there. Oh, how did I get in? Well, I, I went to college to become a history teacher, actually. And perfect. Um, and I, I love history. I love teaching. And my dad, being a first generation immigrant from India, that just didn't compute with him. He, he kind of figured uh, his, his sons have to be either doctors or engineers. And, um, and so after my first year of college, uh, he, he told me, listen, if you go to a professional school, you can teach. Um, you can teach all you want, but just go to the professional school first. Like be a doctor first, be a, be a something. And I said, listen, dad, there's a couple, there's a handful of Indian doctors in the community uh, in Albuquerque where I grew up. And they're all just, all they do is complain like all the time. And I don't want to be like them. And he said, and he pulled up this like drawing that I did in kindergarten of, of me as a dentist. Like I drew, uh, when I grow up, I want to be a dentist drawing. And it, it, like, I have no recollection of this or anything like that. And he's like, oh, what about a dentist? And at the time, I just didn't have any good argument against it. I mean, I still like history more than I like dentistry. I'll admit that. But I didn't have an argument against it. And so um, I just shift my path to dentistry. And to be honest, I'm actually really happy with that decision because he was right. I do get to teach quite often now. I was just going to go. I was going to take that vein too. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, and um, and it, it, it has dentistry has given me a lot of flexibility with my life uh, that may not have been accessible if I had become a history teacher. And so um, I'm actually really thankful that he had me pivot the way he did. The future of fee-for-service dentistry is based in membership patients. If you need help starting your membership plan, or if your plan is too big for your team to manage, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com to set up your free membership growth solution demo with our team. Fantastic. So, because now you're teaching, so, right? You're Yeah, you're yeah. Teaching. I'm an educator for, you know, different uh, local organizations and, and uh, you know, different entities that need to learn about dental implants or whatever it is. And I also, I teach quite a bit, just, just not even about dentistry, but just about health and wellness and what, whatnot, just in the local community. And so it's, it's awesome because that's something that definitely satisfies a a passion of mine. And, and I, I really believe it's dentistry that, that was the door. That was the thing that opened these doors for me. Yeah, well, now you get to scratch that itch now, right? So that's yeah. good. So, so you went to unit. Well, now let me ask a question. Why Michigan? Okay, all right. So, I got a I got a scholarship to go to Illinois. So I I, I was a good student in high school. Um, my parents weren't in a situation financially where they could sure. um, take care of me going out of state. Um, without me borrowing a bunch of money. And so I really wanted to go out of state. I felt like all the smart kids from my high school, they went out of state. And, and um, so I just wanted to go out of state. So I applied to a bunch of random schools and University of Illinois was the only one that gave me a generous enough scholarship where it would be financially feasible. So I went there and then I got a girlfriend in at Illinois 
And so when I started applying to dental schools, I applied like in the Midwest, I applied to Michigan and Iowa and University of Illinois, Chicago. And so places where I would just be like a, a driving distance. And so that relationship never even worked out. It actually, it was, it was doomed to fail like pretty quick, right? When um, I moved away, but that was the reason why I applied to Michigan and Michigan for, for a lot of people in the big 10, Michigan is kind of like the, uh, it's like the house at the top of the hill, you know, it's, it's like, oh, Michigan, that's a really hard, that's the one that's really hard to get into. And so I, it always had that allure for me. And uh, my wife and I, we met in dental school at Michigan, same class. You met her actually. Um, when yeah, we were lovely. in Phoenix She's a couple lovely. months ago. Yeah. And so uh, her parents live in Ohio. So our next stop after graduating and getting married was to settle down somewhere in this state, in the state of Ohio. So you are now you what you're telling me that you are a true Big Ten because all this you you mentioned Iowa, Illinois, right? True, uh, true Big Michigan. Ten. You, yes. you, next thing you're gonna start talking about Ohio State, and I'm just gonna want to throw up for a second or two because I'm a Big East guy, and and the Big Ten was always one of the conferences we did battle with, but that's okay. That's all right. That's right. You played basketball, right? You you were an actual athlete at Syracuse, right? I was, yes. So that, yeah, you're an actual Big East guy. I'm just a wannabe Big Ten guy. All, yeah. all I was was just, all I did was like sit in the stands and cheer really loud. And so I'm just a wannabe Big Ten guy. But I but, did enjoy it. That, that was the source of a lot of great memories. And so but, I do. But the beauty that. of it, right, is the Big Ten has always had a good conference. The Big East was a baby conference when I started. And then the ACC. And it, it, there's just so much to it. Like my niece just graduated from Alabama and the SEC. And, you know, it's, it, I just think it just adds a little more flavor to the experience of college, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It, it does because those are the most memorable things. And the reason they're memorable for me was because of the amount of energy that I was surrounded by at these games. And, and, uh, and, Passion. you know, when I went to school at Illinois, Illinois is a big 10 school, but it had such a bad football team that there was very little energy at those home football games. Right. And so, so I think that, yeah, there is something to it. There is something about a hundred thousand people going to the same stadium and, you know, losing uh, their minds. Yeah. There, there is something it's really valuable and, and it, it is the source of really, really awesome. Memories. Okay. So let's talk. So you're in dental school. Mm-hmm. Uh, what were you, what path were you starting to carve? Were you thinking, I'm going to graduate, I'm going to go into orthodontics or, I mean, was there anything that was, uh, you know, catching your fancy or was it, Hey, listen, I just want to go out and spread my wings. What were, what were you thinking in dental school? No, in dental school. No, I had absolutely no plan. I really didn't put a lot of thought into what I would do as a dentist. Really? All I thought was, it was just go to dental school. That's surprising. Yeah. Yeah, just go to dental school and hopefully, like, I don't know, pass, I guess. Um, so my so my wife and I, we started dating in, in our, sec, our third year of dental school. And um, I knew I wanted to get married to her, but I hadn't proposed until she started applying to residency programs. So she matched at a Cleveland area residency and and I was I hadn't proposed yet. And I was like, geez, I got to do this and move to Cleveland and get a job there. And so I, I, and I always thought it would be super easy to get a job as a dentist. I thought we were like in such demand. 
And so I, I, I proposed to her and she said, yes, which is cool. And then I started applying to dental, to uh, dental jobs and nobody would hire me. And so this started freaking me out. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be a real adult and I'm not going to be employed. And then finally her residency director reached out to her and said, hey, one of our guys just dropped out of the residency program. Do you know anyone, anyone who might be able to fill that spot? And she's like, do I know anyone? <laughs> yeah, I know. And so the, that, that weekend I drove down to Cleveland and that residency director, it was funny. I wanted the job so bad. And that residency director wanted a resident so bad. It was like, all he needed to see that was that I could breathe. I mean, he just walked in. He was like, are you, are you Gupta? And I was like, I'm Gupta. And he's like, all right, cool. Here's the, here's the clinic, <laughs> you know, see you on uh, July, July 1st or whatever um, the first day was. And, and so my wife and I, we did residency together. And as residents, a lot of really successful private practice dentists would come in and be attendings or be guest teachers. And they, they really made private practice dentistry sound wonderful. And so my wife and I were like, listen, there's two of us. Let's start a practice from scratch. If we don't make any money, it's fine because we can get jobs. Like she worked at Aspen and I worked at a place called Sears Dental. I don't know. Does that still exist, Sonny? Sears Dental? I, I remember they were one of the first corporates. I remember then yeah. they started putting dentists in Sears because that was like, yep. first, they, first they had the family photo booths, right? And then they started doing eye care and then uh -huh. in the dentistry. And I, re I remember that. So I don't... I, I was... I, yes, I would, I would go into Sears and be a dentist and I didn't enjoy it. But my the private practice, it was just fledgling. I mean, it was barely... I mean, we were barely making enough to pay our assistant. And so it was really important to me to get busy enough so that I could stop at Sears. And then after a few years, we were able to get busy enough where she could stop working at Aspen. And um, I think the, the whole, uh, I, I think the whole purpose of today's podcast episode with you is we were really successful at getting busy enough and at making enough and we were, that was fine. But one thing that I was noticing was that the more successful, well, I'm going to put successful in quotes, the more quote successful we were, the easier it was for me to be miserable. So for example, I started having back pain really early. I started stressing about financial stuff really early. Mm -hmm. I started taking on cases that I probably shouldn't have taken on but I did so because of the financial potential of those cases. I started just, you know, I, I just remember there was a time when my kids were pretty young and it was so easy for me to be a total butthole. Like it was so easy, like all one person had to do one little thing and I, I would lose my temper or I would get really a brooding and difficult to be around. And I, and I, think that I identified this pretty, I would say in my mid thirties, where I was like, dude, the money is good. Everything outward looks good, but there's no balance here. Like my body's falling apart. Um, even though my wife and I, I would say our relationship was always pretty great. There were more instances where I was the perpetrator. I was the problem 
than there really should have been. And so I think that for the past seven years, I've devoted a lot of my effort towards figuring out, okay, wait a second. Uh, yes, being successful financially is cool, but what are the things I can do to be less miserable? And, um, and I think that's kind of, that's been a really big part of my educational um, persona. Like I teach people about dental implants or whatever, but I don't want anybody to ever make the same mistakes I did where they're doing some huge implant cases and it's awesome. And they just got this big check or something like that. And then they're, they can't even sleep at night because they're so worried about that case or that one implant that failed or whatever the case is. And I don't know, I don't know if that's ever affected you, Sonny, but that's something that has definitely affected me as a professional. Well, it's interesting that you go there, right? So you, you kind of went right there. So let's let's just back up. Let's unpack a couple things real quick. So you talked about, you know, success. Let's just for this for this definition, let's just say success equals money. So yeah. you have enough money now because you're on your own, you're with your wife. So everything at this point, you throw all your eggs in that basket because you've determined this will satisfy what we need to to survive financially and meet our basic needs. And then it grows from there. Okay. Yeah. Now you start talking about, okay, you're not happy. So now you've got the component of um, satisfaction, personal or professional satisfaction is now a little bit a counterbalance to what you on the outside, like you said, perception is okay. You are successful, but you're starting to feel physically um, um, hurt. We'll call it. Yeah. And mentally not really satisfied. Is that right. fair? Correct. So, yeah. so, so yeah. how do you deal with that? Cause that emotionally has to be very upsetting when you've got a yin and yang going in other directions. So I think that was the most, I think that's actually something that a lot of people, just professional successful people fail to think about as much as they should, is that it's kind of like if our life was a bunch of buckets and we have one big bucket that, that, that is labeled money, and, but then we have like 30 other buckets and one bucket is labeled my relationship with my daughter and another one is my relationship with my aging parents and another one is uh, my lower back pain and another one is uh, my philanthropy. It's just a bunch of buckets, right? And it's just, I feel like the more effort that we spend shoveling uh, content into the money bucket, we are putting effort. That is, that's effort that we're putting towards the money bucket. And sometimes that money bucket's already pretty full. It's pretty full. Maybe it's even overflowing. But by shoveling more into that money bucket, something else is being compromised. Something. And, and for different people, it's a different something. But I think everybody would agree that their relationship with their spouse, relationship with their kids, um, for me, my relationship with my brothers and my in-laws, um, with my aging parents, et cetera, those are really important. I want those buckets to be full because those are pretty big buckets in my life. Um, my, my physical bodily pain, my, my ability to be robust and active. Um, my son, who's 11, he likes to shoot the basketball. And... Um, I really like coming home from work. And if he's out there, I like just parking my car and shooting around with him. 
if I, if my body isn't able to do that, that's an empty bucket, right? That that's it. That's a being physically robust. That's a bucket in my life. Mm-hmm. And if I can't do those things, that's an empty bucket. And so I guess we, you know, when you say dissatisfied, I feel like it went for those of us who do take the time to look at the buckets in our life and say, which ones are empty, which ones are full. It's sometimes it's very dissatisfying to be like, dang, I got a lot of empty buckets here. Now, yeah, what yeah. about, what about dealing with the, let's use your, let's use what you're saying is, is, is okay. Let's use these buckets. So now as a person who's a high achiever, cause dentists are high achievers, they have to be to get to dental school. And now you have some success and now they look at those buckets and they say, Oh my Lord, I'm not where I want to be with these buckets. Yeah. Right. So now that adds, that compounds it. Right. So I know we're going to get to that. We talk about balance, but that's got to add to the fact that I don't think you can be all things to all people. And I do think somewhere along the line, you do, you do take, you know, take withdrawals like the Stephen Covey, you know, you you take some withdrawals from some areas and deposits other where, but you build up that solid relationship so that now, so let's take the analogy, you come home, your son's shooting hoops in the, in the driveway, which by the way, will help him get to Syracuse, but that's another story. So, <laughs> he's not, he, he's, so that's okay. he's got my jeans. He's, got my jeans. he's not going anywhere. He could be. So you come home, he's shooting, you want to shoot with him. What if you say to yourself, I've got to take care of these five things for the office because they need to be done kind of like the cats in the cradle song, like, you know, time, I'm going to take the time here and I'm going to put my time and effort into this. Yeah. How do you deal with that? So, uh, so again, it actually just the mere exercise of determining what the buckets in your life are is actually that just the exercise in itself. These are my buckets. This is how much I value each one. So the the ones that I really value, I'm going to make them bigger in my life. And the ones that I don't value much, I'm going to make them smaller in my life. Just the exercises itself. What that does is it gives you a lot of, it takes care of a lot of decision-making. For example, let's say, I've used this example in my lectures before. Um, I have a yard, so do you, right? We have a house and it's on a yard. And if, if our yard looks really good and our flower beds look really good, it looks nice. You know, you drive by my house and you go, oh, that's nice. They have fl- the flower beds look good and there's no weeds and everything's edged and lawn is mowed and stuff like that. That is a bucket, right? That's a bucket. But I've never cared that much about it. I really haven't. I mean, true, I do notice, you know, like, oh, look, my house looks nice. But when it doesn't, I don't care. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't, it's not like it creates this inner turmoil. So when you say, okay, you get home and you have these five things that you got to accomplish, what if one of them was um, calling the guy who delivers the mulch or who who installs the mulch? And another one of those things was... um, calling somebody to do a repair or something like that in the house that maybe not that urgent. Um, and then one of them was call that patient who I did that big surgery on. And I think to myself, okay, wait a second. Now it's not five things. It might be one thing. It might be just, you know, I better call that patient so that my mind is put at ease and I can, I can start my evening without feeling like I'm at work. 
So it becomes, instead of five things, it becomes one. And so it's the same way you have this personal room full of buckets. You also have a professional room full of buckets. So I'll give you an example, Sonny. It's a big honor for me to be interviewed by you for your podcast. It's a huge honor. And I, I'm going to benefit in a, in a ton of ways. Okay, number one is my ego gets the benefit because it's like, oh my gosh, I get to be a, a guest speaker on the fee-for-service podcast, right? It's number one. Number two is, oh, I'll get some exposure. Number three is, oh, I'll get to talk about some of the educational events. Okay, so now there's all these things that make me value this opportunity. But do I need to return your phone call before I play basketball with my son? And the answer is probably not. Probably not. Probably I could play with him and I could, I could return your phone call your, or your email or your text sometime later, or maybe the, the following day. And so just the mere exercise, just doing the exercise and determining what's important to you, that really it makes a lot of the decisions for you. Okay. So great advice. So you have a young dentist who's just starting out and they're on Facebook and they're on the different sites and they're seeing all these different things and they've got all this in terms of they want to, they want to, they want to. How would you help them select their buckets? Oh, that's such a good question. So, so let's go back in time. Okay. So when you were a young dentist and I was a young dentist, the two of us had the major benefit of not having to constantly feel like we had to keep up with the Joneses. So what I mean by that is the times in which I compared myself to other dentists, as a young dentist, the times in which I compared myself were just when I would go to a CE event and I would meet other dentists and I would talk to them, see what they were doing. And at those times, I would have to have the, uh, have to deal with the inner turmoil of knowing that other dentists were doing cooler procedures than me. They were, they had a more successful office. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they, they had this thing and that thing that was better than me. And I dealt with those inner turmoil, that inner turmoil once every few months when I would go to an event. And I think that that was really wonderful because we're humans and we can't be everything. Now, a young dentist who has Facebook, Instagram, they are being subject to dentists who have perfect clinical outcomes, clinical skills, dentists who have these incredible, fun, engaging, motivated, inspired teams, dentists who are just like killing it financially. Um, they, they, they see dentists who have who are going to, on vacations to Greece with their uh, beautiful family. It's got to be so hard to compare yourself to a Facebook dentist. It's got to be so hard because just the same way that we would compare ourselves to Facebook anybody, to see all of these dentists who are doing you know, all this wonderful stuff, it's got to be very difficult. And so here's my advice to them. Um, Accept and accept that you're imperfect and still love yourself. Accept that you, even when you climb the mountain and you're at the top of the mountain, there's still things that aren't going to be perfect about you, 
about your life, about your office, about your clinical skills, and accept that. And even, even though th those things aren't perfect, you're still, you're still doing so much better than the vast majority of people on this planet are. You get to be a dentist, you get to run your own practice, you get to surround yourself with people you like, you get to do procedures that you like, you're probably in a financial situation where you have all the comforts that you need. That's, that's just the truth. That's, that's the truth, whether you compare yourself to others or not. So uh, then, okay, so, so now, first advice, if I'm understanding you right, is you got to be comfortable in your own skin. Now, how about what would you help a, a young dentist in terms of just, just setting up and selecting their bucket? Ah, how do you find okay. out what's, a, what's important to them, right? Yeah, okay, so I'm going to give you three things that changed my life, okay? Three. Number one is debt. And I know that a, a, a person could argue with me and be like, debt's not that bad. Debt's actually a good thing. There's good debt. Good debt is amazing. Fine. Okay. There's, there's people out there that are going to argue with me and say the debt is great. And that, they're probably right. They're probably right mathematically. <laughs> but debt for me is absolute murder psychologically. I'm hundred percent. I hate it, having that. It's a horrible thing. And what it has done for me is it has guided me to wrong decisions. Um, it, it's guided me into regrettable decisions. And so what I would tell any dentist is before you make a purchase that might put you in a position of greater debt or a more difficult ability to pay off your current debts, Ask yourself if that thing is truly going to make your life better and the life of your patients better. Ask yourself if it truly is, because we are constantly subject to the temptation to buy stuff constantly. I mean, Sunny, I don't think you and I, if you and I won the lottery tomorrow, I don't even think we could buy everything that is put in front of us, you know, a, a scope and a, this laser, a CO2 laser and a, you know, all the, a, a, a CIRIC and a, and a milling machine, all this kind of stuff. It's, it's unending. And then we can go home and we can spend all kinds of money on making our house cooler and better and more fancy and more techie and stuff like that. It's impossible to ever win that. And so number one, the thing that changed my life is my wife and I, we were lucky enough early to, we, we actually happened upon a podcast called the Dave Ramsey podcast. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and we followed all of his rules and we got out of debt early. We got out of debt early compared to the average professional. Right. Right. And, mm -hmm. and that's made, that's made our life just mm -hmm. incredibly better. It's number one. And it wasn't because we made more money. It was because we were very, very intentional about what we spent money on. That was number one. Intentional, yep. Mm -hmm. number, two, number two is staff meetings, okay? Most people who don't currently have team meetings, the reason they don't is because they don't have time. And the reason they don't have time is because they're like, dude, my schedule, look at my schedule, it's too full. You know, Monday through whatever, Thursday, I'm too full. Look, look, I, I don't, where am I gonna have a team meeting? And, um, what I would recommend to anybody who thinks that is just don't see patients like for two hours a month, just don't see patients. I mean, have your same hours, but don't see patients. And the, the little bit of money you won't make from not seeing patients 
you're going to, I don't know, a million times that in the amount of professional satisfaction you'll have. And really in the end, profitability that you'll end up attaining by having team meetings. And, you know, one thing about our office, we do a lot of very special stuff. We do a lot of special philanthropic stuff and really cool, fun games. And our office is cool. Okay. It's, it's, we do a lot of cool stuff. And I don't think we could do any of that stuff if we didn't have regular team meetings in which everybody got a chance to express here are the little things about the office that annoy me so that we can start attacking them. And here are the big things that we'd really like to start doing. So two examples. Number one is um, the office really wanted to do a full house welcome to the office video. Okay. Like the full house opening credits only Mm -hmm. with all of us. That took a lot of planning and work and and collaboration. It wouldn't have happened if we didn't have team meetings. That was number one. And then um, I'll, I'll in the show notes, I'll, I'll link you to my website so that you can watch the video, but it's pretty cool. Number two is we really wanted to, on Veterans Day, only see veterans. They didn't have to be patients of ours and just do a bunch of free work. And that's become such a big event in the community. Mm-hmm. And that wouldn't have happened if it weren't for team meetings. Okay, so bucket number one, is debt. Bucket number two is team meetings. And bucket number three is a daily routine in which you take care of your back and neck. Mm -hmm. Daily routine. And when I say daily routine, I'm not talking 30 minutes. I'm not talking an hour. I'm talking two to three minutes every day. The same way you spend four minutes a day brushing your teeth a non-negotiable two minutes in which you do some interesting bends with your back and your core and your oblique muscles and then your upper back and neck, two minutes. And I think that that's made the world of difference for me because I'm very robust at my age now. You know, I can do a lot. I'm, I'm, uh, even though I'm not an athlete like you, I, I don't really fall apart ever. And I can, I can hang pretty well um, with other people who are bad athletes like me. And I, I think that the only reason that I can is because of that routine. So those are the three, those are the three things that I would tell every young dentist to make sure that they do. Okay. So those three things are three principles that you said have changed your life. Okay. All right. Talk to the dentist who feels overwhelmed with that debt component. Because that seems to be a very common denominator right now with our young, young future, our young dentists, because they're not future dentists, they're dentists now, they're young dentists. Yeah. So um, the first thing is, um, I don't want to make it sound like it was easy. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I just feel like that would be so disrespectful to everybody's personal situation. My wife and I, we graduated, we both went to out-of-state dental schools. We graduated with a ton of debt. And then when we started our practice, we borrowed a lot of money in order to do that. And there was definitely... So, so this is times two. I mean, got to yeah. understand that. got to appreciate that. Yes. Yeah. And so it, it was a lot. And there was a point in which we looked at the total number, the total dollar amount of debt we had. And it was an exorbitant amount. And that moment, learning that, 
determining that, it, it's a horrible feeling no matter who you are and what your situation is. Mm-hmm. Because we looked at that and said, this is, there's no way that this is a quick fix. We're not going to just eliminate this in a matter of a few years. But this is what I would recommend. It's something called the debt snowball. Have you ever heard of that before, Sonny? The debt snowball? I, I have not, no. Maybe here's if you talk, it, but no, I haven't, no. Here's how it works. Okay, so let's say you have um, five debts. Uh, you have your, your let's, co- let's just talk about personal debt, okay? So let's say you have a your mortgage, you have a car, my car, my wife's car, um, some weird line of credit thing you did for a, to improve the kitchen, I guess, and then a credit card, okay? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, no, let me, let me re-say that. Your mortgage, your student loan, your wife's car, and your car, okay? And you only owe $12,000 left on your car, you owe $15,000 on your wife's car, and, and you owe $400,000 on your student loan and $400,000 on the mortgage. When you add all that up, that's just, it's such an insurmountable amount. It, right. You know, what did I say? Probably about $850,000 there. Oh, you're pushing, so, yeah, you're close to a million, yeah. <laughs> it's so insurmountable. But instead, what you do is say, okay, let's make some changes in our life and let's attack the smallest one. Let's make the, so let's say you were paying $400 a month towards that car that you owed $12,000 on. And instead of paying $400 until the term ran out, you make some changes in your life. You know, maybe you don't go to Starbucks as much. You, you sell some of your old crap. You uh, cancel the gym membership or the cable TV membership, something like that. And all of a sudden you have, say, $300 more every month. Right. So what you do is you take that $300 and instead of paying $400 a month towards that car, you pay $700. Right, 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 right. Yeah. All of a sudden you pay it off a little bit faster. Then, you know, let's say a good month comes by, you, you know, at the practice, you, you were just really productive and uh, very profitable. And you say, oh my gosh, I have, I have 7,000 extra dollars this month because of uh, the practice did well. How about I attack the car? Just, I, I'm just going to take that money and just, pfft, it's going to be gone. I, I'm just going to just attack the car with it. And what ends up happening is rather quickly, the car just di- the car loan disappears. And you go to the title agency and they print out a title with your name on it. And it's like a pretty cool feeling, right? And you get the psychological boost of eliminating one of the three. But now you don't have 300 extra dollars every month. One of the four, right? Because you had four initials. One of the four. I'm sorry, one of the four. Yeah. You don't have 300 extra dollars. You have 700 extra dollars because you just eliminated that car loan that you were paying $400 on. So 300 came from making changes in your life and 400 came from no longer having that car loan. Mm -hmm. So you go and take 700 and add it to the second car. So let's say you were paying $500 a month for that car. Now you're paying $1,200, 700 plus that five. And then you have another good month and you pay that thing off. And that was happening. We were like, we were, we set up this system where we would pay off the cars quicker. And then we ended up paying them even quicker than that because we were motivated. And then you get this motivational, this inspirational boost every time you get to cross one thing off the list. And so even though our plan was to get out of debt at a particular age in our mid forties, we were able to do it a lot faster because we, we, we were so um, 
it was so exciting when a little bit of extra money would come our way to be like, oh, ooh, cool, I don't, I don't know what to do with it. Attack that loan, attack that student loan, make it so that it goes away. And um, these young dentists who are just like, dude, I'm only making 150 grand a year and I'm, I'm in $500,000 of debt. What the heck? When am I going to pay this off? And the answer is, you're going to pay it off a lot sooner than 30 years if you become incredibly intentional about that monthly payment. Mm-hmm. Make a couple changes. Don't buy the new car right away. Don't move into the nice apartment right away. Don't get the Bosch refrigerator right away. Live like you did in dental school. And that $150,000 a year becomes a lot of money. Mm -hmm. You know, isn't that interesting? Like when you and I were in dental school, if somebody said, dude, you get a job and it's going to pay you that much. I'd be like, that's more money than I could ever possibly imagine. It was so much. I made 600, I made 600 bucks a week. Right. Yeah. It was so much. And the reason it was so much was because it was way more than what we needed when yeah. we were dental students. Mm-hmm. Here, here's, I think, tell me if this is not the trap. So you're, you were very, very, very um, precise on what you said. You kept your pay, basically you kept your payments overall the same and you didn't change your lifestyle because you had a set goal. Well, let me ask you this. What if, what if the first thing that you do, right, you pay off this car, you pay off that car, right? And now you say, well, I'm out of debt for that. Let's go buy or let's go spend that extra, you know, we, we now have this newfound money. Let's go take a, you know, $5,000 vacation. So I'm not going to blame anybody who thinks that way. That's cool. I'm not saying blame it, but, but it does slow down your process. The temptation is always going to be there. Right. And, and that's and, the reward. You make that your reward. And it's like, well, what was your goal? Your goal was to yeah. make that. So this is what I'll say. I, all of us are driven by different things. Right. All of us are driven. Uh, I, I kind of know how I am. My wife knows how she is. You know, I, we would both classify ourselves as pretty... Uh, simple. Like we're, we're, we're pretty happy with simple stuff, but she likes clothes, man. She likes them. You know, I can just tell, I look at her Instagram, all of her people that she follows are like fashion people and stuff. She likes that kind of stuff. However, however, she likes looking cute more so than she likes looking fancy. And so, but let's say she liked looking fancy. That's not, that doesn't make her a bad person. Mm-hmm. Well, just, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, but that's a pitfall. It is a pitfall and it does make things more difficult. Mm-hmm. It does make more thing, things more difficult. I think I'm really lucky that I married somebody who is pretty close to me in terms of overall temperament towards this kind of stuff. Well, let me ask you that question now. Yeah. Let's say that you're in a situation where you don't align. You and your partner don't really align. Right. Because now I, I find that to be the most difficult struggle. And I see that with some really good friends of mine, you know, in terms of their professional life, their personal life. He or she wants to do X or he or she at home wants to do Y. And there, there's a there's a there's now an inner conflict. I find the most successful people obviously are happy at home, happy at work. So what 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 would be some of your thoughts about about that? So, well, OK. Uh, so here's a good question. I met you and your wife and you both look very happily married. You look like you have a very um, happy, productive relationship. However, 
you don't always align. I'm sure of it about certain things and neither do me and my wife. We don't align. And I think the worst thing is to think that by you believing in a certain way of life, you think that you, so, so let's say I was very, very against my wife buying clothing because I don't care about clothing. What I would be doing is I would be committing a really ethical um, foul by basically putting myself at a higher level than she is, right? Mm-hmm. And so what we always need to do just as humans is realize we're all different in some ways flawed, in some ways gifted, and and that a compromise needs to be met in certain things. Like, for example, um, I have a much worse temper for the kids. I have a much worse temper. And it's something that I regret about myself. I have a bad temper. Well, if if I go around judging my wife for the things that she does that are different from me, then I'm just as subject to her judging me. And I don't think it would be a very happy relationship, a happy marriage. And so while people, I think not aligning, that's just the cost of being human. It's just the cost of being human. And so not aligning, it means that, yo, I guess, I guess for that, for that couple where one person really likes to spend and the other person really wants to be out of debt, a compromise has to be reached. Say, okay, well then what age, what is a, a realistic age for yeah. us to, to, to be completely debt-free? What's well, you, a realistic age? And what's the thing that you want to do every year to make sure that you satisfy that itch, that materialistic itch or that travel itch or something yeah. like that? And let's see if we can work that in. So you, t- you talk about buckets. And I, I think the one thing that, I, and I don't want to you know, take it from you, but my thought is, and it sounds like, because you talked about, okay, you want your buckets full. In that bucket, maybe your relationship with your significant other may be suffering, and maybe you haven't spent the time to fill that bucket. So in this situation, maybe that time is, let's sit down, let's come up with a compromise so that we can both be happy yeah. with where we're going, and then we can move forward you know, in, in harmony and, and, in, and in peace and harmony together. But I think, and I see a lot of times in relationships that people, either they funnel all their energy into their kids at the expense of their significant other, or it's something else, you know, or or money or, or whatever it is. Actually, the the way you said that was really well, that was really well articulated that thank you. It'd be awesome if all of our buckets were full, right? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. If, If all of us were just as rich as it gets perfect relationship with our kids, our spouse, we all had six pack abs, um, <laughs> like we go to on vacations to Hawaii and the Maldives every two weeks. That would be great. Awesome. That's cool. But it's just not human. Right. It's not human. And it just means that um, some of the buckets aren't going to be as full as, as full. Maybe they're not going to be completely full. So, so I do believe for me, it would be more valuable in this scenario to not have as full of a money bucket in order to make sure that my relationship with my spouse was full. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that, that makes sense. How, now, how do you get, let's talk, let's go right into balance now. How do you get that balance? How do you help achieve that balance? Well, so I, I okay. So let me give you an example. 
Yeah, um, I love examples. 11 years ago, my wife and I, our, our, the culture in our office 11 years ago was about as close to toxic as it could be, okay? The gossip was just rampant in our office. Just there were team members that flat out hated each other. Me and my wife, because we're non-confrontational people, we were very, very good at avoiding those conflicts and, <laughs> and, 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 and not taking care of what needed to be taken care of. And it was toxic. It was a toxic environment. Mm-hmm. And so the two of us sat down. I, I remember it was a Friday night and we sat down after dinner. Our, our, uh, we only had one kid at the time, or maybe my son was like a baby, whatever. But the kids were really young. And we sat down and we wrote out like uh, what we called the dream team. We just wrote a, buck, uh, a bunch of bullet points. Like, all right, all right, if we had the dream team, the perfect team, they'd be always on time and prepared at the morning huddle. Okay, that's one. Um, they would never bicker with each other. There, was, there would be no bickering and problems would get solved in a mature way. Um, number three is that a, even if you are a hygienist and you don't normally answer the phone calls, if you're sitting near a phone and it rings, you would pick it up because everybody had that same mentality. So we, we just listed out this dream team, these bullet points, okay? And what I thought was really interesting was a year later, we didn't really, oh, and we graded ourselves. We, we gave ourselves a report card, right? Like C minus, D, B plus, F, whatever. All we did was establish the dream team. All we did was put it on paper. And all we did was grade ourselves. So thereby establishing where we were with respect to the, to the realization of a dream team. We just wrote it down. And there's something about writing it down and establishing it, putting it on paper, that sets some wheels in our brains turning, okay? And so when you just said, your question was, um, shoot, now I'm forgetting what your question was. How do you get the balance? How do you get the balance? Mm -hmm. Let's say all you do is put it on paper. I want to be the most philanthropic dude in my, that I know, I want, to, I want to have an incredible, I want to do everything I can to have as incredible a relationship with my daughter and son as possible. I want my wife and I to still love each other uh, when we go to work and when we come home. I, you just write it down. Like what, just write down everything, like the dream, the dream life now, okay? So, so in my example, it was the dream team. If you just write down the dream life, you really don't even have to do any work after you write that down. Something in your head starts spinning. It's subconscious, it's unconscious. You start moving in a trajectory towards those established goals. And I think that there's something really magic about that. Because if somebody asked us, okay, so what did you do? After you wrote down your dream team and graded yourself, what did you do? How did you start to turn your C minuses into A's? And the answer is, I don't know. Uh, we, you know, we tried this or that. There was nothing, there was not a strong one thing or major. It was actually establishing what we wanted. What was so the no, no, no magic pixie dust that you just. Oh, I wish there was. It would be so <laughs> awesome. But what I'm saying is, 
sometimes we go through life and we never even establish that dream life. What is there to even balance if you don't know what you're balancing? And so just establishing, just sitting down and saying, you know, it's really important to me to um, go through midlife and not develop a gut, let's say. Well, that's fine. Then write it down. And you just write it down and all of a sudden your subconscious is going to be like, okay, you know, there's, there's an element of my free time that I'm going to devote to minimizing the likelihood of developing a gut, let's mm -hmm. say. Or there's going to be an element of my subconscious that's going to say, okay, when free time arises, I am going to go on a bike ride with my daughter, even though I could check my emails. Mm -hmm. it, it's just another way. You, it, developing the balance probably the hardest part of developing balance is just knowing what you're even trying to balance. That's interesting. Sorry, was that a long way? Was that too well, long? No, no, no. It's interesting because obviously now I'm, what am I doing? I'm listening to you, but I'm, I'm personalizing it. Right. I'm thinking to myself, I hope so. I hope yeah. so, man. I, I hope, I hope everybody listening is personalizing it. Yeah. Man, I my job. Yeah, like I told you, that was that was my word. I was going to have balance because there's always been, you know, as as well as an athlete and as you know, just I'm just it's just competition, right? It's just, you know, I, how can you do this better? And I'm always, 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 how can you improve? How can you improve? How can you improve the patient experience? How can you improve the the team experience? You know, the whole thing. And and to this day, that's yeah. it. You know, and you know, we I just lost a good friend who graduated a year ahead of me in dental school, and I'm also now I'm thinking, you know, am I is my, my scale out of whack, you know, am I too much here and not enough there, you know, those kind of so, things. So Sonny, would you say that the, the friend that you lost, yeah. that person was a dentist. Yeah. Would you say that that person, um, it was it a he? Yep. yep. Would you say that he was maybe unable to attain balance on time? Um, for him, uh, or is it too question. hard for you to answer that question? That's a good question. That's tough. I'm going to say, I, I don't think he did achieve balance. I thought he was very driven on a couple of things, but it's just, it's just the relativeness. It's just that. Yeah. And, and to be honest, actually, that's an impossible question for you to answer because you don't know what he firmly established as his priorities. Right. And, and so all you can do is judge his level of balance compared to yours which is an unfair comparison mm -hmm. because obviously you and me and every other human on this earth, we have a different set of priorities. Our buckets are different. They're different sizes. They're different colors. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so it's, it's hard to say, I guess though, I mean, from your perspective, there's, there's probably elements of balance that mm -hmm. maybe as his friend, you wish he had attained. Yeah, uh, very true. It's, it's just, it just was, it's, it's right here. It's right here in river city where I live, you know, and I don't live in actual river city. That's just a, a slang expression, but yeah. you know, there's also the, you know, then, then, then I always go back. I had a social studies teacher who always said, you know, listen, you know, you're, you're working hard at your sport and you're doing great in school and you know, you're, you're going to get a scholarship and stuff, but don't forget to smell the roses, you know? And I, I Mr. Archer, I always remember that. And I, I also say to myself, yeah, I, I do. They're, and they're along my path, you know? Uh, so my question now is let's talk a little bit about wellness. What are some of your thoughts and what are some of your suggestions on a person to maybe have better balance of wellness in their life? Yeah. So, uh, I read a book, 
seven years ago. It was called The Blue Zones. It was uh, written by Dan Buettner. Have you heard of this book at all? I have not. So The Blue Zones, uh, they were kind of made popular by Oprah. She got a real kick out of them. Uh, there's five places in the world where there's a disproportionate number of people who live beyond the age of 100, and they oh, are okay. living pretty much free of chronic disease. Um, Okinawa, Japan, uh, this small religious community in Loma Linda, California, uh, Sardinia in Italy, and um, oh, wow. uh, Icaria, Greece, and then there's a place in Costa Rica, uh, the Nicoy Peninsula. And what Dan Buettner, so, so there's, there's two possibilities. Number one is these are just a bunch of mutants. They're just a bunch of evolutionarily superior humans that are isolated in one part of the, you know, in different pockets of the globe. That's number one. Or number two, there's something about their lifestyle that doesn't um, accelerate the aging process the way it does for the average human. And what he found was if you took a person from Sardinia, Italy, and you moved them to, say, Minneapolis, they would start to age and they would they would die of heart disease probably the same way that um you and i probably will right um there there it it wasn't something about their their genes it was something completely about their lifestyle and uh, what i was most interested in was learning about what are the things that all of the blue zones had in common and because you know it if you take one of these in isolation, there's too many things that are unrelatable. And uh, he listed several things. I think it was eight or nine things. I'm just going to see if I can rattle them off. Number one is all of them had small plates. Every blue zone has small plates, which I find very un-American, to be honest, because <laughs> I, I mean, like, I just, I just think of like all you can eat buffets and stuff like that. And just, just, just heaping plates and, uh, you know, I remember my parents just thinking that a restaurant was a ripoff if there wasn't a ton of food on the plate. Mm -hmm. And the, and so, but in all the blue zones, it's a small plate. It's just, it's puny. It looks like an appetizer plate. And that's what they eat their meals on. That's number one. Um, the Okinawans call it haribachi boo, where you stop eating when you're 80% full. Um, another one is there's constant mild movement. And I think that too is actually quite un-American because um, I live in a suburb and it would be very difficult for me to walk to the grocery store or to walk to cost, ride my bike to Costco. Mm -hmm. um, most of my, you know, for me to ride my bike to work or whatever, uh, they, they, I could, I guess, but it would be very impractical, but all of the blue zones, they're constantly moving just walking to their friend's house, riding their bike to the grocery store, riding their bike to, to the church or something like that. And I just think that that's uh, something that, even though it's impractical, it's something that all of us as Americans, we can do a lot more of. I have an hour for lunch at, at my office. I finish eating in 15 minutes. There's no reason for me not to go for a walk and experience that sunlight, even when it's cold outside. Mm -hmm. um, so constant mile movement. I don't want to get too long-winded. I apologize, but um, let me give you a couple more. Yeah. Uh, number three is getting old is honored and not feared. Mm -hmm. And this is incredibly un-American. Um, my wife, she does the Botox. Uh, she gives, you know, she, she has a certification yeah. to give people Botox in, in our office. 
I mean, she has a line a mile long of people that want Botox. And it's because they're so afraid of looking old. And that bothers me because we're all going to get old. We're all going to get old. It's, it's an inevitable. Wait, wait. Let me, let me butt in. Let me butt in right there. We're all going to get older. We don't we're have all to get older. Old. You're right. <laughs> but, but you know, the wrinkles are going to come. Like, you know what I'm saying? That, that, I do. Those things are, that, that's inevitable. And right if, here. We're, right here. if we're fearful, right? If we're fearful of that, that means that we're living in constant fear because we're fearing the inevitable. And I think that that's what? probably negative. Uh, okay, so that was three. Let me see. Let me see if I can give you one of my favorites. A fourth one. Uh, all of them. Every blue zone is mildly religious. No, I wouldn't even say mildly religious. They're all religious. They're all, a formal religion is a major part of their lives. And it doesn't matter which religion. They're, you know, the Okinawans are Buddhist and the Sardinians are Catholic. The, the ones that are in Loma Linda, California, they're Seventh-day Adventists. They're all, but there's something interesting about religion is that it's, it's the kind of the one time in which you sit quietly and you either clear your mind or you think about how grateful you are. It's the only time, right? It's, it's very rare for you to be driving, working, interacting with family, getting ready to sleep, in which you're just clearing your mind or thinking about what you're grateful for. And whether you're grateful to a God or whatever, it doesn't matter. You, 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 every American should probably admit that they, they have a lot to be grateful for. And, um, and I, and I just realized, like, gosh, if I if I did that, if that was a normal part of my life, I think I would be better off for it. And so I started. Um, this is about three years ago. I just started listing stuff. You know, I if I if I just hung out with my wife and her sister, I, I would write down, like, wow, I can't believe I get along with my wife's sister's husband. You know, my 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 brother-in-law in Ohio. It, it could have been so easy that this guy would have been a total, you know. Uh, I, I don't want to use a cuss word, but it would have been so easy for this guy to be unlikable. <laughs> and and he's not. He's he's actually really easy to hang out with. That's something that I need to take a moment and reflect on. Like, yo, I'm lucky. Look okay. at that. I'm lucky. I got this other person who's now a family member and it's somebody I really enjoy hanging out with. And there's so many things that we can be thankful for um, if we just took the time. Yeah, John Gordon. John Gordon talks about a gratitude walk. I don't know if you follow him at all, but uh, no. But that sounds actually that's excellent. So you're getting two things. You're getting yeah. two things out of it. You're getting your your walk in, your sun your sunlight in, and you're getting your gratitude. That sounds pretty valuable. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. So great stuff. Um, care to wrap up now? Anything? Any other thoughts you'd like to share? This has been very helpful, but. Uh, you want to end with some advice? I, I do have one final question I got to ask you, but uh, do you want to mention some of the things that you have, you, you were involved in and fill us in? Yeah, I, I will give a plug because you're asking me to give a plug. I do a CE event once a year. Mm -hmm. It's called the happy dentistry tree. And it's like, it's just, it's a team building CE event. Um, so I, I have my AGD PACE certification. And so I'm able to give CE and so once a year, I do an event. It's a CE event, but I have like a yoga instructor who's coming, a foam rolling instructor, a stand-up comedian. Uh, we're going to do wine tasting on the first night. I'm trying to make it into a, uh, I guess, a very uh, whole 
I, I wouldn't say whole wholesome event because we're drinking alcohol, but a, a pretty holistic event in which mm-hmm. we're learning a lot about just how to be successful individuals in this profession without making ourselves miserable. Great. Um, from a wellness standpoint and from a team building mm-hmm. um, practice management standpoint. So that's going to be this July, mm-hmm. in July 29th and 30th. It's in Chicago. Okay. If you're free, Sunny, I know you have a big practice or several small practices, however you like to call it. Um, I would love to host you um, at the retreat, but the website for that is thehappydentistretreat.com. Well, thank you. All right. All right. Now I got to ask you the final question. Ready? Yes. Nothing to do with dentistry, but um, if you could go and you could transport yourself back in time to any one place, where would you go? And when would you go? And then why? All right. So my big regret, um, in 2020, uh, my wife and I both turned 40. No, no, no. Wait, it wasn't 2020. It was 2018. 2018, we both turned 40. And um, we said, where are we going to go? And we decided to go to Banff. Have you heard of Banff? B-A-N-F-F? Nope. It's in the Canadian Rockies. Okay. And uh, we went in July and we decided not to close the office for a full week. We decided we'll work Monday and Tuesday and then we'll go to Banff Wednesday until Sunday. And I, the kids were old enough to, you know, hike long distances by themselves without really getting tired. And I really wish we had stayed there for a week and a half, maybe two weeks, because it was spectacular. It was an absolutely spectacular place, but we were in a rush from the moment we got there. We were in a rush. We were like, oh, well, we got to see this thing and we got to do this thing. And then, oh, we're, we're done. And now we have to uh, drive back to Calgary so we can fly home so we can see patients the next day. And I, I just wish we had taken a few more days. Now you're filling that bucket right now. I appreciate that. That's what I expected. But now you could have taken a journey back to meet Benjamin Franklin, you could have done anything and and you chose to spend a little more time and make that time more quality time to keep your bucket filled to the max. That's a perfect perfect answer for you. Oh, thank you. We'll wrap it up. So thanks. uh, Anybody that wants to reach out in the show notes, you can get a hold of Dr. Gupta Ankur. And he told me I'm pretty close on the pronunciation. So I'm pretty happy about that. Yeah, you're good. Have a have a good one, everybody. Akur, thank you. I appreciate you very much. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on, Sonny. Have a have a great rest of your night, okay? You too. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Fee for Service Dentist Podcast. If you would like to share your fee for service story, please fill out our contact form at ffsdentistry.com. Also, be sure to join our Fee for Service Dentistry Facebook group. For help starting your dental membership plan, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com and membershipmastercourse.com. Finally, for help with in-house financing, visit dentalfinancingdirect.com. And don't forget, your story is what you make of it. This is your name on the door and your reputation on the line. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.